or, or baptism or you just would like to take a next step uh, at River City Baptist Church, there's a connection card in the seat back pocket in front of you. If you just take that, fill it out, maybe mark membership or salvation or baptism or just send a note. Uh, we, we follow those up on Mondays and, and we look forward to talking to you and with you uh, as far as how we can best serve you and the next steps that you might want to take in your Christian journey. Uh, let's read from Matthew's Gospel beginning in chapter 17 and verse number 14. The Bible says, and when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out from him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could not we cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed... You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Howbeit, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Amen. This is God's word. I want to draw your attention to two words in that last verse, this kind. Over the next four weeks, I'm going to do a smaller series within the series on the life of Christ called Easier Said Than Done. And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at things like faith and prayer and fasting and missions work. And, and these are things that are easier to talk about than they are to do. Today, we want to look at this idea that some things in your life, listen very carefully, some things in your life will never happen happen without prayer and fasting. Some things in your life will never happen without prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you please work in our lives? Would you speak the truth of your word to our hearts as we open the word and as we are confronted with the reality of this situation, that no doubt there's so many people at our church who are facing mountains unclimbable and valleys unpassable and storms unattainable. And Lord, I, I pray that you will show us from your word today the importance of taking our spiritual lives to another level by faith 
putting our trust in you through prayer and fasting. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Although they do not do this any longer, I understand, Walt Disney World for a number of years had a system through which you could navigate the incredible lines more reasonably called Fast Pass. Now, you could buy them or you could stay at the resorts and get a certain amount of them or you could just keep checking the app all throughout the day and for a couple years, both in California and here in Florida, my wife and I had season passes to uh, Disney. Of course, we have 75 kids now, so that's no longer an option. <laughs> Fast Pass was a way to skip the arduous lines and to rush to the front of line, the line with a pass called a Fast Pass. Unfortunately, Christians have been using the Fast Pass for years trying to skip the arduous lines of spiritual disciplines, trying to attain certain answers to prayer without just standing in the challenging lines of prayer and fasting through which and only through which certain things in our lives will be attained. The Bible teaches us in this text that a man had a son who had a severe problem. The boy had a physical infirmity that, according to the text, was directly connected to a demon possession, not uncommon in the Bible. And by the way, not uncommon in many places in the world today. And while demon possession is not as visibly prevalent in our country in more modern accommodations, no doubt demon oppression and possession do exist in our country. It's more prominent and more seen and more visible in more uh, undeveloped countries and more countries oppressed with things like voodooism and certain occults and so on and so forth. But in the Bible, it was certainly a, a, a very prominent thing. Jesus dealt with demon possession all the time. Jesus inter interacts with this man right after he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And this man brings his son to Christ who is still having this problem. And something very, very, very sad and intriguing is revealed to us in the text. It says in verse number 16, after Jesus introduces the boy to uh, uh, the boy, the man, excuse me, introduces the boy to Jesus, that he tells us something very sad that happened in a previous encounter. He said, I've got this problem, and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. I want you to notice, first of all, in our text, that these disciples were confronted with an incurable problem. They were confronted with an incurable problem. Now, you need to understand that these men had been sent out by Christ previously... You can read about this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 9. They had been sent out by Christ specifically to preach the Gospel and to see miraculous works performed through them that would authenticate the message that they had been given. Now think about that. They had been sent out on a mission with the authority from Christ to preach the gospel and the power of Christ to see things like this happen and for some reason or the other, while they enjoyed success occasionally and maybe even predominantly, on this particular occasion, they were unsuccessful. Can you imagine how difficult this must have been for a man 
who had heard about Jesus, heard about his disciples, heard maybe no doubt other people that had been cured, other people that had had victory, other people that had seen miraculous answers to prayer, only to be disappointed when on this occasion, for one reason or the other, these men were unable to perform the task. You know, maybe this man sounds somewhat like us. Maybe we find ourselves hearing a lot more about what God is doing for other people rather than experiencing what God is doing in our own lives. Maybe it could be that we, our, our Christian experience, the one that we deal with every single day, seems to not be the kind that is described in the Bible. Maybe, for instance, there's somebody in the room that battles an addiction or battles a, a, a particular sin and your experience of victory in your life does not seem to line up with the promise of victory that Jesus gives us in the Word. Or maybe you have something that you've prayed about for a long time and, and you've heard of other people praying about certain things and you maybe wonder to yourself, well, why, why is it that uh, I don't have answers to prayer or I don't see victory or I'm not making progress in a particular area? That's what this man was experiencing. He was confronted with disciples who were commissioned and were given the authority to do the job that, frankly, they could not accomplish. And now look at it through the disciples' minds. Here, they had the power and the authority to do this work, and now, for one reason or the other, they could not do it on this occasion. I think this is really interesting. You know, when they came back to Jesus and gave a report of what they had done, there were a lot of celebration, a lot of, a lot of things that had happened, a lot of people that were healed, a lot of prayers had been answered. And you notice they didn't bring this story up. This story came up a little later. It's kind of like a kid that got, did something while the parents were out of town on a date. And, and they weren't going to bring it up. They were going to tell you all the nice things that happened, how wonderful they did. And then you walk in the bathroom and see the mess that they left or whatever. It's kind of what the disciples did here. They celebrated all that there was to celebrate, but somehow, conveniently, they had left this story out. They had not told the Lord, not that he didn't know, but they had not told the Lord this particular encounter. And now, the egg is on their face, so to speak, when this man shows up and says, look, here's my son, he's messed up, he's been this way for a long time, and then I brought him to them, and they couldn't do anything about it. Wow, what a scene. You realize that there will be many, many times in our lives where you are going to be confronted with something that you have no control over. And you may be there right now. You may be carrying something to church today. The fact of the matter is you have no ability to deal with it. You have no ability to solve it. You have no ability to fix it. Here is a man confronted with an incurable problem. What do you do when you have an incurable problem? Well, number two, we see that this boy was healed by an incomparable Savior. What do you do when there's something in your life that won't give? What do you do when there's a need in your life that you can't fix, that you can't solve. Look at verse 17. It says, then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Just highlight that verse at least in your mind, particularly that last statement of the verse. What should the men have been doing the entire time? Bringing the boy to Jesus, right? Here they are. They can't fix the problem. They walked away without the problem being solved. But what Jesus is pointing out to them is this. Why did you not exercise faith there? 
Why did you not believe me? Why did you not call out to me? I mean, how many of you understand that at that very moment when they found that this boy could not be healed, they could have simply fallen to their knees right then and there, and they could have cried out to Christ and said, Christ, we can't do anything about this, but we know that you can and here's really the, 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 the crux of our text today. The crux of our text is this. When you've got a problem that you can't solve, when you've got a need that cannot be met, when you have something in your life that needs attention, you need to bring that issue to Jesus Christ. He was healed then by an incomparable Savior. Verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. The answer is always Jesus Christ. The answer is always to bring that problem to him. And as he heals the boy, the third thing, which is the thing we're going to spend most of our time on today, is this. Jesus then, number three, teaches them about an indispensable resource, okay? So let me put it all together for you, and I'm going to spend all my time here now, okay? The first thing that happens is the boy is incurable. They can't do anything about it. The second thing that happens is they bring him to Jesus, and Jesus deals with it in a second. How many of you know that what you have labored in and struggled with for years, Jesus can solve in half a millisecond? There's a boy who cannot be cured. There's a savior that cures him instantly. And now, in the last part of the text, Jesus is going to reveal to them an indispensable resource. He's going to tie it all together. He's going to show them what was missing in point one. What could you have done? What should you have done? If you've got a situation that you can't solve, what should you go to? Folks, listen, the answer is that Jesus points out to them that if you would have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can see things happen like mountains move. And that faith then is expressed in verse 21 by prayer and fasting. This is very simple. The simplest way of expressing faith in God is prayer. The most common way for you to tell God you know how much you need him is to pray. Now, now let, let me ask you a question. If I were to somehow be able to surveil your life over the last 168 hours, would I come to the conclusion that you think you need God? As you rush and hustle and fight and scrap for everything that you're trying to accomplish, advancing your career, struggling for your family, fighting for your kids, agonizing over finances, wrestling with addictions, wrestling with sin problems, would I come to the conclusion, hey, I know they're in the struggle just like the rest of us are, but at least in this case, you can dem it can be demonstrated that this person understands that in the struggle, they need God. And the only way that you can really authenticate or prove or actualize the fact that you know you need God is when you are talking to God and bringing your burden to God. It's called prayer, and prayer is the breath of faith. And there are times even when prayer in and of itself is not the fullest exercise of faith. But actually there are times when prayer is accompanied by fasting. Now, I know that we don't talk about this a lot, uh, but fasting is literally 
quite literally, withholding yourself from eating so that you can devote the time and the space that you would be eating and fellowshipping with others to express a greater hunger in your life, a hunger for God. Do you know that fasting is a seriously common practice in the Do you know that fasting is expected of God's people? In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 6, when you pray and then when you fast, assuming that we do this, assuming that we pray, Do you know that it should be assumed that everybody that knows who Jesus is spends time in prayer? It's assumed. And it's also assumed that people that know Jesus also spend time fasting, withholding themselves from meals to give that attention to Christ. Now, just for the effect, and I'm not telling you this for any other reason than than I wanted to feel it again. I've done many fasts in my life, but leading up to this message, I said, there's no way I'm going to preach this message without coming into this message fasting. Okay, Doing that as a spiritual discipline, as a spiritual exercise, and oftentimes specifically with the intention of, God, I need something. God, here is a list. God, here is a burden that I am carrying, and I am going to literally, I need you so badly. Come on. I want you so desperately. I am in such desperation to have you show up to have you speak, to have you work, to have you heal, to have you fix, to have you forgive, to have you change, to have you transform something in my life that I'm not even going to eat because my greatest hunger right now is for you. This kind. Meaning there are sometimes some things are unattainable without prayer and fasting. And so today I tell you it's easier said than done. To fast and not eat, maybe for a series of meals, maybe for a series of days. There's fasting in the Bible from 40 days to 21 days to 3 days to 1 day. There's fasting in the Bible that is uh, absolute fasting, which is only water. There's fasting also from certain types of foods like meats and only eating things like juice or vegetables like in Daniel's case. There are all kinds of different ways to experience it. There's all kinds of different ways to express it. But friend, I am here to tell you that it may very well be the link that is missing between you and the breakthrough of whatever it is that's on your heart in life today. Just like this boy. This boy couldn't be healed. This boy's demon wasn't going out. This boy wasn't going to get fixed until somebody exercised faith in God by prayer and by fasting. And may I say this to you? Don't knock it till you try it. And don't be so quick to make excuses as to why I don't do it. And furthermore, I would warn you, don't treat it like a little rabbit's foot that you think you're going to rub in front of God's face to get whatever you want. I am talking about not a hunger for comfort. I'm talking about a hunger for God that wants his purposes, his will, and his power to be accomplished in your life more than anything. Now, I know many of you are new to our church, so some of you that are older bear me repeating the story, but I feel like it was fitting to share here a story from our lives. In the summer of 2007, God had put on my heart that God wanted us to have children. We've been married for five years. 
we struggled with uh, infertility for those five years with no explanation, lots of doctor's visits and lots of checks and exams and just no answer other than timing's not right, wait a little while, whatever. And at some point when you're praying about something, you will maybe find yourself burdened that there's another level God wants you to take this. There's another level of seriousness. There's another level of spiritual hunger that God is going. I was reading at that particular time through the book of Daniel. I was sitting in Louisiana at a summer camp. It was, it was uh, uh, about late May when this took place. And I read Daniel chapter 10. It's a very intriguing chapter. Basically, Daniel receives a vision, and he's trying to basically ask God to make it clear to him what this vision is. And so the Bible says he set himself to fast for three, uh, three weeks, 21 days. Later on in the chapter, the Bible says that God responds to Daniel by showing him the vision that he then shares with us at the end of Jan Daniel 10, then Daniel chapter 11. But God says something to, to Daniel that jumped up off the page of the Bible and grabbed me by the heart. And he said, from the day that you set yourself to afflict yourself and fast, I sent the answer. And then in this really bizarre description, he talks about how God sent the answer to Daniel, but then there were demons and angels fighting over the answer for 21 days. Now, it's crazy. It's crazy. But the lesson is pretty clear. There are things going on in a world that you can't see that you better have the sense to believe in. You don't believe there's forces out there that are trying to rob you of your Christian experience. You don't think there's demons out there trying to wreck your family. Come on, trying to wreck your church, trying to wreck your future, trying to wreck your... You don't think that's possible, friend? You better wake up and believe that there is a God, there's a devil, there's a heaven, there's a hell, there are angels, there are demons. It's real, and it's a fight for your life. my goodness, well, this is intense. And I said, you know what? I've never done that. I've never done what Daniel did. And I said, but I'm about to do it. So I called a friend, Mike. I said, Mike, look, man, this is crazy, but I believe God wants me to go on a 21-day fast. I'm praying about one thing, a child. I want God to give us a child. I said, will you do it with me? 21 days, man. He said, yeah. He said, that sounds great. <laughs> I said, well, I don't know if it sounds great. It, it is, it's, I believe, the Lord. so Mike and I did this together in June. June about 7th to June the 28th, roughly, of 2007, we did a 21-day fast. Every day, Mike had two or three prayer requests that he shared with me. I had one prayer request, a child. And we prayed. And so during breakfast, we would pray. During lunch, we would pray. Obviously, during dinner, we would pray, and we we just did that for 21 days. We checked in with each other and, and so on and so forth. That was the end of June 2007. Then a week later, the fast is over. Nothing happened, okay, but a week later, one week to the day later, first week of July 2007, I get off an airplane in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm getting ready to drive up to speak at a summer camp, and as I get in the van, my phone rings, and it's Angie. And Angie says, hey, Brian, this is crazy, uh, but I'm sitting up here at a swimming pool uh, at the camp with my pastor's wife, who was in town visiting, and we were talking, and she said, you know what, uh, 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 Angie, do you know anybody that would be interested in looking 
uh, to possibly adopt a child. Because there's this child that is available for adoption that's going to be born in about 10 weeks from right now. And we, we don't know. We don't have anybody, and we're, we're just praying and looking. And so Angie called me and said, she said, what, what do you think? Do you think that we should pray about this? And I said, are you kidding me? That's what I've been doing for 21 days. Of course I think we should. Of course I think that we should look into this and see what's going on. Make a real long story short, uh, that was the beginning of the process of going up to a northern state two weeks ago. And eight weeks before this child was going to be born, we were chosen to be the adoptive parents of this child. And for eight weeks now, between the time we were chosen to be uh, the adoptive parents until the baby was born, we literally had to see God move mountains. And I'm not talking about small mountains, I'm talking about big mountains. I'm talking about that this little girl sitting down here in the second row costs more money than I made in 2007. And I needed it in eight weeks. And I said, God, listen, I still remember driving down Interstate 20 from Atlanta to Louisiana, driving down the road, so overwhelmed because I had just hung up with a lawyer, and he said, I need a retainer. I didn't know what he was talking about. I've never talked to a lawyer before. I didn't know what's going on. I had to secure a lawyer. I had to get a social worker. I had to buy a house, by the way. That happened in the eight weeks also. All this is happening. We are so overwhelmed. And, 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 and he says, I need a retainer. I said, what is that? He said, that's my fee. I said, okay, how much? He said, uh, well, I need $7,500 up front, and then uh, depending on how things go, it could be X amount of dollars on the back end. And, he, and I said, okay, great. When do you need it? He said, well, really, I need it now. And I remember I, I literally I hung up the phone. I started praying. I'm driving down the interstate. I said, God, listen, this is obviously more. This is more than I could ever do. I don't have it. So if you want this to happen, you're going to have to do something about this. Within about one hour on the same ride in my truck on Interstate 20, we just about crossed the Alabama state line, still moving west, and I got a phone call from a church, and the church said, hey, Brian, somebody heard that you guys were adopting, and they opened up an account in your name, and they deposited $15,000 into the account, and they want to know, anytime you need a check, just let us know. I said... I need a check right now. I actually, I need one for $7,500. He said, no problem. It's on the way. Boom, just like that. Right before Adrian was born, we were, in, we were in Missouri, and this couple walked up to us after the service and handed us an envelope, and they wanted us, insisted that we opened it right there. I opened it up, and there was a, there was a check fell out. I wasn't expecting a check, but I reached down, grabbed the check, uh, looked at the check. It was signed by them. It was written to me, and it was blank. And I said, well, I, I don't, I'm not sure I quite understand what this means. She said, well, we're going to pay for the rest of your adoption. And I said, well, ma'am, you, you don't have any idea how much this is going to cost. I'm not even sure that I understand how much it's going to cost. She said, well, I really don't care how much it costs. Just fill in the amount. And I remember filling in the amount. And then, I, look, folks, God can do something faster in one second than you could build in a lifetime. And just a few weeks later, Adriana was born in the state of Pennsylvania, and we brought her home, and, and uh, God began to show us and pour out uh, answers to prayer. We began to learn early on 
in our life and ministry that there will be times that you will face something that's not going to move, friend. It's not going to move. And you can keep analyzing it, and you can keep going to uh, human sources and trying to figure it out other ways, but I'm here to tell you this morning, you can stop all that, and there is a other way that some things can happen, and it is by prayer and fasting. There were times we went on. We prayed. We prayed. There was another season about five years later, and God allowed us to have Brent. Now, look, I'm done praying for kids, y'all. Y'all can stop. If you, if you want to pray, pray for us, pray some other thing for us. Okay, we're, we're good there, all right? I can give you a big list if you want it, but, but for that, we're good, and I think we're satisfied. I'm thinking, boy, God answered a lot of those prayers in major, major, major ways. Now, I'm going to leave you uh, with a verse, and I'm going to talk about a couple quick things in application here, but I-, I want you to get a hold of this idea that God may very well want you to enter into a season of prayer and fasting in your life so that God can break through and answer a prayer that you desperately need him to answer. And I want you to write this verse down. I should have put it up on the screen, but write it down. Isaiah 58, verse 6 and 7 gives us an idea of reasons for and ways in which we should fast. Listen to this. Is not this, God says, the fast that I have chosen, listen now, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and and, and break every yoke, to share bread with the hungry, and to bring your house the poor who are cast out. I'm going to end very quickly here by giving you several reasons in which you may consider prayer and fasting. Number one, you should consider fasting to get freedom from addiction. Did you hear what he said? To break chains. It may be that somebody here is addicted to pornography, is addicted to uh, uh, alcohol, is addicted to drugs, is addicted to evil thoughts, is addicted to infidelity in a marriage. I am telling you, friend, get a hold of God and let God break through in your addiction. You can fast to solve problems. He says undo heavy burdens. God can deal, listen friend, God can deal in an instant with something you have stressed out about for weeks and months. He goes on to say you can fast to conquer mental and emotional health issues. He says to let the oppressed go free. You can fast also to meet the needs of others. In verse number 7 he talks about how that you can fast in order to share with the poor. Isn't this a novel thought? You wonder how you can give more? You wonder how you can do more? Well, it should go without saying that if you don't eat, you don't buy what you're eating. God says there, is, there are times where you can fast just to help meet the needs of others. Has it ever occurred to you that the vast majority of people in the world would love to have what you throw away every Sunday after lunch? Has it ever occurred to you that just one day a week you could do something radical, crazy, just so that you could turn around and do more for somebody else that has far greater needs than you do? We've lost our minds, people. We are the self-generation. We are indulgent. We are self-absorbed. You say, I wish you'd quit talking about that at church. There's many other places you can go. You expect me to stop talking about our selfish, overindulgent lifestyle? You're going to hear in just a moment from missionaries that are reaching people that have never been reached before, never heard the name of Jesus, people in third world countries that are starving and don't know where their next meal is coming from. And look at us. 
Look at our closets, look at our, our cars, look at our indulgent houses, look at how we live for ourselves. And I'm telling you, church, there's a different way to live. There's a way to live to actually withhold so that you can get a hold of God and so that you can meet the needs of other people. It's a possibility. And while it sounds like radical, I'll share with you next week that there's some things we're going to do as a church that we are going to do financially as a church to stop being the indulgent American church that we so easily fit into. To start being the radical, actually normal church that would please the Lord Jesus Christ by what we give and what we do and who we serve. You know, we can fast to, to for God's glory and to be protected from the evil one. We can pray for a more righteous life and a more influential testimony. We can pray that God will answer those prayers that we have long went without answers to. This kind. Goes not out but by prayer and fasting. I was preaching in Arkansas a number of years ago, and I flew in on a Friday, and I was preaching Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday, all day. And I, I, God put this text on my heart. Today's message is an entirely different message than I preached before when I preached the same passage. But that, back then, I just, God put it on my heart to preach that night on this text about prayer and fasting. The church is pastored by a friend of mine, Pastor Swinner. And if you listen to my podcast, you'll have heard an interview just a couple episodes back with him. It's a powerful story. His wife was in a very serious car accident, and basically the first time I met them, she was bedridden. Been months since she had been to church. She averaged two seizures a day for a year or two. Two, maybe it was more. It was a lot. Just, I've been with her when she had a seizure just outside of a fancy restaurant. It was, it was quite an unbelievable scene. The pastor, when he got there was diagnosed with leukemia and still lives with it today. I didn't know any of this stuff when I went. didn't know any of this stuff when I prepared the message, but I preached this sermon that night a hold of that church. That day, that was probably 2010 maybe. From that day to this day, every February they do a February fast. They just, they just stopped it just again. I just talked to them again recently. Every year that church in February... Somebody is fasting at every meal. I forget they calculated how many meals their church has collectively missed in prayer. And everybody submits one prayer request that the whole church that participates prays for. They've seen children born. His wife, the one that was so sick, has basically been restored for the most part back to health. She now attends church, serves just like she was. I could go on and on and on, but listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking today about some fairy tale thing. I'm talking about people that are serious about God. In ways that we don't often see modern churches and modern Christians serious about God. And so I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I want to I wanna ask the worship team to come, and we're going to sing that song again. I, I want to speak the name of Jesus, and I, I want you to stand. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you, first of all, to respond. Maybe you need to come, and there's something you need to pray about. You, you, you're obviously not making a commitment necessarily to fast, but there's probably something on your heart. I can see it in your eyes. There's something that you're struggling with. There's something that you're burdened about. There's something that, that, that you, you, need, you need God to do something. You need an answer. You need a miracle. But why don't you come and implore the name of Jesus? You guys go ahead and 
sing. And if you want to sing with them, sing with them and claim the, the promise. Also, I want to encourage you just to come and pray. If you're without Christ, you don't know if you died that you'd be on your way to heaven, please come and meet me. And I'll be glad to show you how you can know for sure that heaven is your home when you die and that Jesus is your Savior. But let's just take this moment and remind ourselves of this truth that we sang this morning. Let's speak Jesus into this situation that you're facing right now. God bless you. You can come and pray. It's good. Go ahead. Come and pray. Altar's open for you. Claim the power.